Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Hey man, aren't you, aren't you grateful to know that we can run to the Father with our burdens, that we can run uh, in the midst of those moments where we're weary and we can't uh, carry those things on our own. I'm reminded of uh, the words of Christ where he said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That we can cast all of our cares on him uh, because he cares for us. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we're grateful, Lord, that we can approach through the blood of Christ the very throne room of heaven. God, not because of our good, but because if we have placed our faith in in Christ that you have given us his righteousness. And Lord, we're so grateful, Lord, that we have access this morning to be able to approach your throne and to find help in the midst of our time of need. And Lord, I pray that today would be a day, God, where we would run to you. God, where we would uh, see the power of your word in the way that it intersects even the moments of our life. And Lord, that if there's anyone here that has never trusted you for salvation, Lord, that today would be the day where they would turn from sin and just trust in you. God, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. And we ask for your blessing and your power to be displayed in our midst as we open your word. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So grateful uh, to be gathered here this morning, uh, to worship together, uh, to sing praises to our great God. Uh, Grateful for a a great group that's online this morning. I know there's uh, some families that are uh, dealing with, uh, with sickness and just difficult things on the way. We're praying for the, uh, the sweet family uh, this morning and uh, just lifting them to the Lord. I saw Danny and Teresa online uh, here just a moment ago and so many others uh, in our midst, those that will be having surgeries this week, those that uh, just are, are walking through difficult times uh, in our lives. We, we uh, just are grateful that we can approach the throne and that we can lift our Uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, up to the Lord. Um, You know, as we gather this morning, I want to welcome you if you're a a guest with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning. We'd love uh, to connect with you when you're ready. As you leave, you'll see a a guest table, a place that you can uh, turn in a connect card or connect just a little bit there and find out some more information about how you can be uh, plugged in. Uh, You can also text the word guest to 877-477-4037. I think that'll be maybe on the screen uh, there along the way, but 828-477-4037, and you'll get some information there uh, uh, that we can uh, just help to connect with you and be praying for you and just, um, we love to do that whenever you uh, are ready. Uh, Just a quick question this morning as we open up the Word of God. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah this morning, and I just wonder, are there any procrastinators in the room? Anybody that would just say, you know, that's me. I'm definitely one of those uh, procrastinators, uh, anonymous. We can connect after church, right? And, and you know, I, I thought about, like when I was in school, and, and you'd, you'd get the syllabus at the beginning of the year, And you would look at that and there would be at least a couple of things on there, maybe at at least one for sure that I would just look at and go, oh man, that's going to be horrible. I better not start that. 
Anybody do that? Like you see some big daunting task and somehow mentally you're like, man, I, I think I'll just wait on that. Uh, the, the task kind of seems too big, maybe too overwhelming. Uh, sometimes we look at those kind of things. Maybe it's a project you want to do around your house. Maybe you look at that and you're like, oh, I'd really like to clean out all those woods and cut all that down and weed eat and do all that kind of stuff. But you look at it and you think, man, that project just seems too big. It's just a bit overwhelming. And sometimes when we have those kind of things happen, what we do, we find ourselves in a place where we don't do anything, right? We find ourselves in a place where instead of maybe doing something, we just find ourselves overwhelmed in the moment. And maybe you, maybe you feel that way about certain things in your life. Maybe there's a relationship that's been strained. Maybe there's a, a family relationship that, that is walking through a difficult time. And somehow you look at that situation and you say, you know what? There's too much water under the bridge. Maybe it just feels like there's too many obstacles that are there. Too many hurts to see really things change. Maybe, maybe you're the kind of person that somehow at a moment in your life you've dreamed and said, you know what? I really want to make a difference. Maybe you've thought as a follower of Christ and you've said, I wonder what it would look like to really live my life in a way that I fulfill the purpose that God has for me. Have you ever thought about that? What is it that God has for me? What is it that God has for you? And you you wonder, what would it look like to fulfill that purpose? Sometimes you think about those things and then you say, you know, but I know who I am and I don't know. I don't know that God could use me to do much of anything. Maybe you look outside these walls. Maybe you look at the brokenness in our culture. Maybe you look at the, the brokenness that's around and the hurt that's all around and you, you look at it and you think, man, it's just too much. What could I do to make a difference? Could God really use someone like me? Could God use someone like you? And we're going to be walking through a bit of Nehemiah today, and and we're going to be looking at at that question. And I hope, you know, as as I, if you've been just recently connecting with us, we've been walking through this really fast journey through scripture, where we've been reading through the word during the week. And then on Sundays at the, at the early part of the year, I just felt led to, to connect this reading plan to, uh, to our sermons and really just look at this big overarching view of the narrative of scripture. And so as we, as we open God's word, and as I've been reading through the book of Nehemiah, I thought, Lord, if, if there's one message that you want us to get from this book, what would it be? What is the, and, and, and when I read Nehemiah, and when I read any of these books, I'm like, this needs to be at least a 15-week sermon series right here because there's so much there. But I want to challenge you to find your place on the wall. I want to challenge you to find your place on the wall. And if you are following along in the church app, you'll find some, uh, some sermon notes with some fill-in-the-blanks there along the way. Uh, you'll see some of those Uh, options there. And I hope that as we read the word today, that God might give some of us a boost, just a nudge that would say, you know what, we need to get in the game, that we might not be able to make a difference in everything, 
but all of us can make a difference in something. We may not be able to make a difference in everyone, but we can make a difference in the life of someone. As you open your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, I want to give you just a little bit of context. When you read the scriptures and you see Ezra and Nehemiah in our uh, copies of the Word of God, and, and we, we see those separate, uh, but originally those were, it was one unified work, and we see that in the context of where we are, there was a, uh, these stories take place uh, after King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And this Babylonian empire had invaded Judah. Uh, they had destroyed Jerusalem. They had destroyed the temple. And they had taken a large number of Jewish people captive uh, after 70 years of captivity. So when we read Jeremiah 29, 11, when we read the verses prior to that, we see this kind of promise that there's going to be a, a return there. Uh, the Jews, after 70 years, were allowed to return to Israel. And what we find out is even though they were allowed to return, many of those did not. They were, uh, rather than saying, hey, you know, here's this incredible opportunity to go back to the land that God has promised, to go back to the land of our fathers, this land that God has given us, uh, most of them chose to stay in Babylon. And so what we read in Ezra and Nehemiah, we, we see these three stories of these three leaders and how God used them uh, to oversee these groups of people that would return to Jerusalem, that would rebuild, uh, that would work and engage and lead the people in that, right? In 536, we see uh, uh, Zerubbabel and we see Zerubbabel. It's like Ezra, maybe chapter one through about six, and we see him lead a people back and they uh, go back in and we see the temple uh, rebuilt. We see uh, maybe like 50,000 Jews go with him. Uh, about 516, the temple is rebuilt. Maybe 60 years later, Ezra the priest. So if you're in Ezra uh, chapter 7 through 11, we see Ezra go in and he begins to proclaim uh, the Torah. He begins to proclaim the law of God. He begins to uh, restore the teaching of the Torah. And so there's this little revival that takes place as a result. But what we see in Nehemiah is that there was still work to do. And we see that God wasn't finished and the job wasn't finished. And so as with uh, the patterns of these leaders, as they go back, the king would be stirred. We would see this kind of similar pattern. The king would be stirred and he would send them back. He would approve that. Not only would he approve it, but he would finance it. He would send uh, supplies. He would send them with resources. And then once they get there, they would all face this heavy resistance. But in the power of God, they would overcome this resistance and there would be this great celebration. So in Nehemiah, we find the, the city and we find the people, we find it in a place that is a mess. And here's how God works. When there's brokenness around, and you can follow this through scripture, when there's brokenness around, God uses people to engage that brokenness. And God raises up leaders. He raises up people who will embrace that call. And in the book of Nehemiah, God raises up this man who's going to make a difference. He raises up a, a man from a place that we probably would not expect. If you look at the very end, of Nehemiah chapter 1, you'll see that he was a cupbearer to the king. So here was a guy that had access to the throne room. He was a guy uh, that would drink the wine before the king would drink it. If it poisoned him and killed him, it was a bad deal. King stays back from that, right? He would taste those things first. It was a, there was a trust that was there. Many of these men, they would become uh, confident, so to speak. They would be in a place that they would be trusted uh, by the king. And so all of a sudden, here's a guy that's in an interesting uh, position. And in chapter 1, verse 1, the scripture 
scripture says this, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month Chislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers and some men from Judah came and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire, right? So his brother has just returned and and Nehemiah says, hey, how are are the people doing? How is it in our father's uh, place, right? How, How is it there. What's it like? And he says, listen, it's distressed. He said, it's beat up. It's a mess right now. Uh, It's damaged. It's horrible. It's a a horrible situation. And in verse four, the scripture says, Nehemiah hears these words, right? And when he heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah hears of the condition of his people. And he hears of this brokenness. He hears of this mess. And the scripture says that, that he was moved to compassion, right? When he hears, this. He sat down and he wept and he mourned. He didn't just say, man, I hate they're in that, that spot and lift like a two-second prayer and just go on with life. The scripture says that he mourned for days, that, that he saw the condition of these people and he was burdened. And the scripture says he was fasting and praying. And, and in these these scriptures, we can see some things about Nehemiah's prayer that we can apply, that we can learn from. So I want to give you just a a, a few uh, things as we go along, but I want to remind you that if we're going to see rebuilding in the midst of a broken culture, so when we think about revival, we're in this series, Prepare the Way, and, and every week I try to make this statement that we cannot manufacture a move of God. We cannot do that, but there are things that we can do to be prepared if God so chooses to move. And, and in rebuilding this, this picture of revival, this picture of restoration, we can think of that even in the context of this rebuilding. And I'm reminded that rebuilding in a broken culture begins with prayer. Rebuilding in a broken culture begins with prayer. A pastor I like, Vance Pittman, always likes to say that uh, we don't pray before we work, but that prayer is the work. Oswald Chambers uses some similar terms in his uh, great devotional, and, and we see this kind of thought, right? It all begins with prayer. Now, there's a couple of things about Nehemiah's prayer. Three things I want you to see. Number one, it begins with praise. He begins with praise to our great God. In verse 5, the scripture says, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. He begins with praise. He begins praising God. I, I saw an image that was released this week from the James Webb telescope. I don't know if any of you have seen that this week, but they had a, a greater view uh, of the, the ability to look into the sky, right? To be able to look in. And, and here's an interesting picture. I thought this was really a, an unusual thing. You can see this at NASA, but when you look in there, they describe this and they said to give you some perspective that if you were to take and pinch a grain of sand, just humor me, we pinch a grain of sand. We've all got a little grain of sand in our hand right here. And we were to hold that up and look to the sky that the amount that we are able to see in the, in the distance that is covering in that grain of sand, that that's what you're looking at in this moment. And it's just revealed 
behold, uh, even greater, the, the majesty and the glory and the depths of creation and all uh, that our great God has done. And when we look in uh, to creation, the scripture says that, that it declares the glory of God, that it reveals his majesty, that we see and we look in to all that our, our great God has created. And we're overwhelmed with his greatness and overwhelmed with his glory. And then we're mindful and it's incredible that, that we would think about that our God who created all that without even breaking a sweat, that he is mindful of you and I. And so he begins with praise and he says, God, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And then he continues with confession, right? Look at verse six. He says, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Now notice this, I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. And notice he didn't, play, he didn't blame all those that had returned. He didn't say, you know what, I, I hear about the condition that's there, and I can't believe that those that went on back, I mean, they had plenty. They should have done something. They should have had some better deal than that. They didn't blame those that had gone back. And, and notice he didn't blame just somebody else. He said, listen, I confess the sins uh, of the people, but he said, me and my father's house, we have sinned. Not only does he confess, and I don't know about you guys, but it's pretty easy for us to confess the sins of other people. We're all pretty good at that. But he confesses and accepts, right? He, he recognizes, third thing I want you to see in his prayer, he recognizes the responsibility. His responsibility for the sin and also his responsibility to be part of in the solution. So when you tell somebody, hey, I'm praying for you, and when we, we commit ourselves to praying for someone, th there's a sense in that that we want to ask God, how is it that he would so use us to be part of the solution? So he recognizes this responsibility. We're good at seeing other people's sin. We're good at blaming other people. We're good at blaming the government. We're good at blaming the culture. We're good at blaming all those things. And when we read this passage and when I think of, of Scripture in its entirety, when we see God move, I, I want to remind you this morning that revival doesn't begin in, in the courthouse. Revival doesn't begin in the White House. Revival doesn't begin in government buildings, but it begins in the people of God. In, in 2 Chronicles 7, the Scripture says this. He says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I would hear from heaven and I would forgive their sins and I would heal their land. Revival begins in the people of God. And, and when God looks to a people to answer for the brokenness that's all around, God looks to the people that he is called to be on mission in the midst of that land. He, he looks to a people that he would call his people. See, we're good at seeing other people's sin. We're good at blaming other people for the mess. And we're also good at seeing other people that should do something. Anybody relate to that? Like you look at it and you go, man, that's a mess over there. And then you can look around and I say, I say oh, they ought to go over there and fix that. that. That person right there, they ought to do that. But here's what we see when Nehemiah prays, he finds himself in what we'll call a purposeful position. And so he looks and he says, okay, uh, maybe there's something I can do in the midst of this. God reveals that to him. And we've said already, Nehemiah is near the king. And in verse one of chapter two, it says this, he came about, 
It came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Now, when you see uh, this timing that's there in, in the very first verse of chapter one, uh, it gave us a time, Chislev, and then in chapter two, we see Nisan. And so there's this perspective that there's been some time there. And what we need to know is from the time that uh, Nehemiah heard and saw of the brokenness of this area, when he, when he talks to his brother and he hears the desolation and the damage that's going on, there's been about four months that have passed. And notice this burden has not just gone away from him. It wasn't something that left. And he says, the king says to me, why is your face sad though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Verse three, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies desolate and its gates have been consumed with fire? Then the king says to me, what would you request? Now, notice this is a really uh, important piece I don't want us to miss. He says, what would you like to do? I, I see that you're sad. I see that you're broken. He tells him why. This is the condition of my people. And the king says, what would you like to do? And Nehemiah immediately says this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, now, Nehemiah is probably not when the king says, hey, what would you like to do? Nehemiah didn't say, hang on just a minute. But in that moment, Right? And there should be moments of our day that are filled with moments like these that are an overflow of time alone with the Father where we have been in his presence and we've been calling on his name, where we've been, been in the presence of God and our prayer life is, is a continuation of that through the day. So the king says, what would you like to do? And immediately he calls on his father and he says, God, I need your help, right? There was dependence in that moment because here's the truth. He had been being prepared the last four months and longer than that, but as we look at this passage in the context, he had been prepared by the king for this time that he was going to stand before the earthly king. Verse 5, I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, can I remind you for just a second before we go on, uh, we need a whole sermon series for sure, but, but he says this, if I found favor before you, and the way that he would have found favor before him was acting like something in front of the king, the cupbearer would have done been kicked out if he wasn't doing what he needed to be doing. And, and we've got to remember that our position and our place that we serve and that we work and that we run track and that we play football and that we uh, are in a band and all the places that God has us, we're representatives of the kingdom of God. And, and in those moments, we need to be people that are representing the king well. And so here we know that Nehemiah was in that. He says, hey, if, if your servants found favor before you, if I've done a good job, if I've took care of you, if I've taste tested all the wine, never poisoned you, if I've done all those things, hey, this is a, a time that I would like to ask something. And he said, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Now the king hears this news. It's news that he's asking. Now this is going to inconvenience the king because this trusted person is asking to be sent somewhere else. And the king says, I'm with you. He says, I'm all about that. You go on. Here's what, uh, what we're going to do. He sends him on. He sends him with some letters that he's able to show so that he can have uh, access into these provinces. He sends him with some resources. He gives him the lumber that's going to be needed to rebuild. So he says, I'm going to send you and I'm going to find him 
sense, and here's how it's going to look. And in verse 8, there's a little leaning in of that. Nehemiah doesn't say, you know, all this happened because I'd worked real hard and I'd earned all these things. Nehemiah, in verse 8, says this. He said, because the good hand of my God was upon me. And he's glorifying God in all that is taking place. Warren Wearsby says this. He says, God is still looking for people who care, people like Nehemiah who cared enough to ask for the facts, weep over the needs, pray for God's help, and then volunteer to get the job done. So Nehemiah goes. He gets there. He rests for three days, I believe the scripture says. And so he's gotten there. He's rested a little bit. And then he decides, hey, I'm going to go out uh, and I'm going to check this thing out. I'm going to go out at night. I'm going to quietly look and get a survey of just how bad this is. Chapter two, verse 17, he pulls a bunch of different people together. So we we see farmers and we see priests. We see all kinds of different people from different uh, walks of life. We see farmers, religious leaders, landowners. and, And I just want you to see as we think about and as you read through Nehemiah, you're going to see all these people listed. But what God wants us to see in this, and what I want you to see this morning, is God uses everybody. God uses everybody. He assembles all these people together. And we see in Nehemiah, right, he's began to pray. If we're going to rebuild in the midst of a broken culture, it begins with prayer. The second thing, though, it responds with action. Look at verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation that we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. He shares vision in the midst of these moments. He says, look around. Look around. Look around at the brokenness that is all around us. And he says, we could, we could make a difference. We could impact the mess that is all around. We could do that for the glory of God where we will no longer be a reproach, where people will see the greatness of our God. And then look at verse 18. He reminds them of all God has done. Verse 18, he says, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. God uses our story. He uses Nehemiah's story. He uses Nehemiah's story to motivate other people to join in the work. And all of us, if we are in Christ, we have a story. And God desires to use the way that he has blessed us. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he is also the God of the Smiths and the Chufos and the Cochrans and on through, right? And we need to be a people that are testifying of the greatness and the mercy and the goodness of God, how in his grace that he has saved us, how what nothing that we've done, it is in his grace that he has sustained us. It is in his grace that we continue to be sustained. It is all his grace. And we need to be people that are praising his name and talking about the greatness of our God. He said, let us arise. Let us rise up and build. Let us do this thing, right? This is where we are at. Every one of us, we have a role to play. 
the scripture in the New Testament would speak to us and say that we are part of the body of Christ and that every one of us has a purpose to play in the midst of the body of Christ. And here is what Nehemiah does. He looks and he says, look around, look at the brokenness. But I believe something else was happening in those moments. Not only were they looking and seeing the brokenness that was all around them, I believe they were seeing one another. And he looks around and he calls them to be part of something special. He looks at them and he invites them into a move of God. He says, I know that God has burdened my heart with this. Look at the walls. Look at our city. And he invites them into a move of God. And some of them probably had sat there before looking at those walls. Some of us in this room, we've looked at the brokenness around us and we've said, I'm only one person. I don't have much influence. I'm only one person. I can't do everything. God's not asking you to. But you can do something. I can't do everything. But I can do something. I can't help everyone. But I can help someone. He invites them into this move of God. He calls them to respond in prayer and then in action. But the third thing I want you to see in this text is that as we rebuild in a broken culture, we're going to face resistance. Rebuilding in a broken culture overcomes resistance. Now we do it in the power of God. Look at verse 19. It says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official. Now, through this text, as you read the following chapters, you see that Sanballat was, was the nemesis, right? He was, uh, he was always causing trouble. And there are Sanballats and Tobiahs today. And, and in this particular verse, it says, the two of them and, and Geshem the Arab heard it. And they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They were chattering around. They were mocking them. They were saying, you guys can't accomplish this. What are you trying to do? Are you rebelling against authority? What are you doing? What are you doing? It's discouraging all around. D.L. Moody said this, there's not been a work undertaken for God since Adam fell, which has not been met with opposition. If Satan allows us to work unhindered, it is because our work is of no consequence. Some people have this false idea that if we're following Jesus and doing something for him, that there will be no obstacles, that everything should be easy. But that's not at all what the scripture would teach us. That's not at all what we would see in the word of God. And when we see important work for the kingdom of God, it is going to be met with resistance by our enemy, the devil, by our adversary. We are going to experience those kind of things. I heard somebody say one time, they said, no good deed goes unpunished. And while that is not true, there's this thought that says when we're trying to do something good, it seems like there's opposition. It seems like there's difficulty. It seems like these things are coming at us. This past week, uh, my, my daughter Hope, who turned 16 years old today, say, hey, Hope. Yeah, happy birthday, right? I, had, I got to pick her up uh, from school not school, from work uh, that day. And she's going to be driving. I'm just giving everybody a warning. Um, 
a little later this week. No, she's been doing good. But when I got to pick her up, and it was kind of the, the, that evening kind of late, and I said, you know, I want to take advantage of this moment. And so we're going to go on this, you know, what, what we like to call daddy-daughter date. And I said, what are we going to eat? And she said, I don't know what you want to eat. And it's kind of the same thing. You do that your whole life. And so, like, it's just part of being a female. It's part of it. It's good, right? It's just, you know, it's true. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? I don't know. Y'all laugh. Don't throw it. It's true. It's true. It's true. If y'all haven't had that conversation, you can throw a rock at me. But if you have, it's just true. And so here we are. So we pick the place that we're going to go. We go in and eat. We come out. I've parked my car in beside this, this truck that is there. And you'll see a little image of this little guy we met. Um, now, don't say all. Ain't no all by that guy. So, so we, we pull beside this truck and, and he's kind of yapping at us in the front of the truck at first. We're just, rah, 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 rah. we're kind of checking this thing out. Well, as Hope begins to walk down, she's driving, she begins to walk down by my truck. This little dog decided he was going to hit just the right spot. And all of a sudden the window comes all the way down, right? <laughs> and she's standing there. Next thing you know, this little killer, man. That's what I named him. If he's somebody's dog, I'm sorry. But he is, rah, 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 rah. I mean, he is yapping, going crazy. And I'm, I'm looking, hoping, I'm, I'm laughing because it's funny that the dog just rolled down the window. Right? I'm like, this is awesome. They left him in there with the car running, you know, to keep him cool. I'm surprised he didn't drive off. But he was... Here this window rolls down. He's like coming out after Hope. She's kind of backed up. So I come over there and I'm analyzing this thing because I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I feel like there's a little bit of responsibility in this thing. I feel like as soon as we, you know, are not right there at the window, he's going to jump out and be running all over the parking lot. I'm like, maybe I should help this dog. So what can I do? So I kind of come over and I said, I got this idea. I'll just take my little hand. I'll reach in there. I'll roll this thing up. So I reach in there to roll this thing up. He don't like it at all. Not even a little bit. Hope's dying laughing. She's watching over there. So I, I'm figuring out, I'm like, I got to trick this thing, right? So I, so I go to the back and I'm tapping on the back of the window. He'd run back there and jump. I'd run back to the front and I'd try to roll this thing up. And so we're having this, comp this little competition, right? And he's so mad. Finally, I hit the button hard enough that it actually not only rolls itself all the way down once you hit it, it'll roll itself all the way back up. So it rolls itself all the way back up. I'm like, this is a victory, right? We've saved the dog. And then I turn around and there's like a sheriff's department car pulled over there watching this whole thing. Hope's looking at me. I'm thinking, they probably think I'm trying to get something out of that car, you know. And, I'm, and so we're kind of navigating all that. But I'm reminded, as I was thinking about it, when we try to make a difference in the midst of a broken world, even sometimes those people that we're trying to help, they can respond negatively. And, and there's going to be sand ballots. There's going to be, Tobias, there's going to be people who are, are going to be in opposition to the work that we are doing. There's going to be those kind of things. Verse 20, though, here's how. Nehemiah responds, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. For the sake of time, we're going to scoot all the way up to chapter 6. Chapter 6 says this incredible thing. It says the work was completed. It says the work was completed in 52 days. Incredible thing takes place as, as these people work together. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. God uses people 
to engage in the midst of brokenness. It's how he works. He calls his people. He calls his church to respond to the brokenness that is around us with compassion. When, when Nehemiah saw the condition, right, it burdened him. It broke him. And when he looked at that, right, he responded in prayer. Then he began to do something. He began to make a difference. And there's something even maybe more significant in this passage that I believe the Lord wanted us to see. He calls us to respond together. He calls us as a body of believers to respond together to the brokenness that's around us, to use the gifts that we have been given. Everyone in this room is gifted differently. Everyone in this room, if you are a part of the body of Christ, if you are born again into the family of God, God desires to use you in the midst of this broken world. And he uses you collectively with other believers with unique gifting, unique strengths. And and we suffer when parts of the body are not functioning together. And he calls us, right, to engage in this work. But here's our problem. We're busy. We look around at the world and we make excuses. We say, man, I don't have time to get involved there. We look at at brokenness over here, brokenness over there, and we say, it's not my problem. It's not something that, that I caused. And maybe we just don't care. And some of us need to ask God that he might allow us to look through the lens that he sees, that we might see in the power of his spirit, people as he sees them, with, that we might be moved with compassion for people. Jesus would look at the lostness of a city and, and he would be stirred with compassion. It was a, 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 a Greek word that literally meant like his stomach was turned, that his bowels were turned, that, that he, he hurt for them so much that it, it, it was this deep compassion. And we look and we sometimes don't even care. And then we look and we say, you know what? It's not my responsibility Somebody else can take care of that. And to help them, look how big it is. It's not possible. But the scriptures would tell me that with God, anything is possible. When we have our marching orders from him, if the task in front of us is not daunting in our own strength, if we don't look at it and go, there is no way. Like if our church, if we're not looking at something beyond us that is bigger than us and saying, you know what, if God doesn't show up in the midst of that, we're doomed, right? We should live in those kind of moments. So sometimes we get stuck in how are we going to do this and how are we going to do that and all the strategies and all the things that are there. But what we need to get in is to say, God, are you calling us to do that? And then to say, you know what, if God's calling us to do that, then he's going to take care of everything else in the midst. And we look and say, not me. God probably has somebody else there that could do the work. But God calls us to respond differently. In Nehemiah, they came together. The walls are built. 52 days. We may as a church not be able to make a difference in everything, but we can make a difference in something. Individuals, we can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. And as we look at this passage, 52 days, it doesn't take long to build the walls when everybody is committed, when everybody is involved, when everybody has bought into the vision. And I want to encourage you, 
Because it's discouraging to look at the news. It's discouraging to look at our world. It's discouraging to look at the brokenness that is all around us. But I want to remind you that it doesn't take long to make an impact in the midst of our community, in the midst of this world, if everybody will get at it. If we'll, if we'll say, you know what? I believe and I know that God multiplies his work through the unity of his people. And some people have got to be through the spirit of God and the convicting power of God that we might have a holy discontent to say, you know what, on my watch, I'm not going to watch our young people uh, go down the drain. I'm not going to, during my watch, during the time that God has allowed me to be here, I'm not going to sit by silent and watch families suffer. I'm not going to sit by silent and and see the community that I live in in disrepair. I'm not going to do it. That's not where I'm at. And in Nehemiah, he says, look around. You see the condition of the city. You see the walls that are torn down. You see the brokenness. You see the disrepair. You see the reproach. And he says, listen, let's do something. Let's lock arms and rebuild and engage with our community. Let's do this thing. And I want to challenge you this morning to look around. Look at the condition of our land. Families are broken. If we're honest, our communities in so many ways lie in ruin. And God is looking for some people. And in the power of the Spirit of God, I pray that he might burden our hearts this morning. That that he might stir in the midst of our lives where God is looking for some people that see the condition and care, that see the condition and find themselves broken on the inside. People that look and recognize the brokenness and the need and and say, you know what? Let us rise up. Let's put our hands to the good work, to the work that God has invited us into. And here's the good news. You don't have to wonder what God has invited us into because he has revealed it in his word. He has given us marching orders. And can I remind you of the king's words? Can I remind you of those words in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always even unto the end of the age. Listen, the king didn't just send us and say, I'm going to give you some supplies and I'm going to give you some resources and I'm going to send a few of my people so that they'll take you serious. He didn't just do any of those kind of things. He says, listen, I'm going to send you into the midst of this world and and your marching orders as the people of God. Once you've been saved by the grace of God, God's not finished with you in those moments and he uses you to go back into the midst of brokenness and he says, listen, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid because not only am I going to equip you for everything that you need, I'm not just going to send some people with you, but I will be with you. Then lo, he says, I will be with you always, even into the end of the age. And so we go into the midst of brokenness and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear uh, the things of this world because we know that our great God, the one that spoke this world into existence, he says, listen, he, he says, God is not slack concerning his promises. We know that there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to make all things new. But he says, listen, he's long suffering toward us. He he is long suffering toward the brokenness that is around us. God is calling people to repentance. The scripture says that he's not slack concerning his promises, that one day he is going to return. He's going to rule (coughs) and reign. He's going to make all things new. But he says, listen, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in the midst of brokenness, he raises up a people. 
And if we'll take it serious, and if we look at our lives and we're honest, when we read the commands of Christ to make disciples, to train, to observe all these commandments, to do all these things, I just want to ask you a question. If God looks at our life, would he say that these most important things that he has left us to, that those are a priority in our life, that we have taken serious this call to make disciples and to go into all the world and to preach and share the good news of the gospel. It's a big work. Some of the people in this story, they started around their house, started around their neighborhood, and it's a great place to start. Where's God calling you? Where's he positioned you? Where's he placed you to make a difference for his kingdom? May we start next to our own house. May we start in our workplace. May we start in our school, the sports teams that we're on, the people that God has placed us around as neighbors. But maybe this morning it's got to start in our own heart. Because when we look at our heart, if we don't care, maybe it starts there. Maybe it's a prayer to say, God, forgive me for the way that I've been walking. Maybe it's a prayer that says, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Will you take your place on the wall? Will you take your place in the work that God has called us as a people? May we go this morning from not saying, God, I, I can't do everything. But maybe we have a response that says, God, if nobody else does anything, I'm going to do something. Get in your spot on the wall and allow God to use us to change this community, to impact this world for the glory of his name. All he requires is just a step of faith. Take a step of faith and trust God in the work. Trust him. You know, Jesus entered into the midst of brokenness. He entered into the midst of a hopeless, a people without hope. A people who could never live good enough to meet the standards of God, to never meet and, and be in the presence of a holy God. And Jesus entered into the midst of brokenness and he lived a life that we couldn't live and died in our place on a cross so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be restored in relationship with the Father, that we might be made new in Christ. And he saves us. But once he saves us, he doesn't take us out of this world in that moment. But he leaves us with a mission and a purpose, a mission to look outside these walls, a mission to look outside our homes, a mission to engage the broken world that we live in for the glory of his name. Will you join in that work?